1: For somebody just to disappear like that, I mean, I know it happens and it happens thousands of times across the United States a year, but it's just baffling that, you know, in the day and age we're in and the technology we have,
2: that somebody can just utterly disappear. My first thoughts when I heard about it was oh, she's probably just out driving around doing something. And when I heard about the way the accident happened and everything, It's like, no, there's more to this story, and I kept thinking every day, where is Kim Flint?
3: On September 26th, 2018, deep in rural East Texas, storm clouds gather as a green SUV speeds down Highway 84, reaching speeds of over 80 miles an hour, The SUV suddenly smashes into a guardrail on a bridge over the Angelina River. The vehicle careens out of control before coming to a stop at the end of the bridge. Less than a half hour later, police find the crashed car. The keys are inside, along with a pair of glasses belonging to 57-year-old Kim Flint. But there's no sign of Kim, or anyone else for that matter. Kim Flint has vanished, and no one knows if she's dead or alive. Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Missing from the Bridge.
1: September the 26th, our Sheriff's Department, they received a call down on U.S. Highway 84
3: east of Recklaw, Texas in reference to a one-vehicle accident. Roy Cavazos is an investigator with the Rusk County Sheriff's Department in East Texas.
1: Once they got down there, there was no one around the vehicle. Our dispatch was able to search our in-house for the registered owner, which was James Flint, and able to find a phone number for him.
3: James Flint is on his way home from work when investigators call to explain the mysterious accident scene. He tells them that his wife, Kim, was the person who drove the SUV, and says he last spoke with her just a little over an hour before. She was at their house at the time and didn't mention any plans to leave before he got home. At the crash scene, a bridge over the Angelina River in a rural wooded area, Detective Cavazas begins his investigation.
1: I was expecting if she had the wreck and and bumped her head or became disoriented that she would have just maybe wandered into the woods and hopefully we would find her you know because we found no blood inside the vehicle nothing like a broken windshield where she may have gone into the windshield or something like that so i, I wasn't sure exactly if she was injured or to what extent but first glance that's what we were looking for is we've got somebody that was hurt in this accident we need to find
4: him. i tried to call the house that morning and nobody answered which wasn't out of the dorm you know my mom she like to sleep a little later
3: corbett flint is kim's son On the day of the crash, he had just finished a two-month truck driving job and planned to visit his parents, but needed a ride home.
4: So I called my dad, and I was like, hey, um, you almost here? And he's like, well, we got a situation. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's, well, they found your mother's vehicle, crashed on Highway 84. She's not around it, and I'm here at the house, and she's not home, and the vehicle's gone.
3: James picks up his son, Corbett. And they head to the Angelina River Bridge, baffled by what could have happened on that highway and where Kim might be.
4: From the what I seen on the the crash scene there, you know, it looks like right before the end of the bridge, you veered to the right, not like a like a sharp right turn, but like a just a like a gradual turn right into the bridge, and just just slid along the bridge, and the front right tire hit the metal guardrail that connects to the concrete now. It left road scarring you know, a few hundred yards up the road till it came to a stop. In a way it looked to me, with my little bit of, you know, few years I did accident investigations in the Marine Corps, it looked like somebody that was dozed off or just kind of, you know, how you daydream, you kind of just drift over somewhere. That's how it looked to me, but I don't know what happened, you know, if it was the malfunction of the vehicle, if it was her. I don't think she was trying to run off the bridge because the Angelina River there, it's a... In some places, the Angelina River it can be big. I've seen it was bigger. We had a... I believe it was a drop that year, so there wasn't a lot of water in the bridge.
3: It appears that after crashing her car, Kim may have been confused and wandered away from the scene of the accident. Police coordinate a search for the missing woman. Certain she could not have gone far, since her family reports that she suffers from gout in one foot which limits her mobility. But a heavy rainstorm is approaching, and
4: the Angelina River is known to flood. It's not cloudy, it's not raining yet. I'm doing a hasty search of the scene. I don't see any smudge marks, any disturbed grass from the scene trailing out into the woods. I don't see anything disturbed, too much going down to the river. We looked in the river the best we could, because I don't have any equipment. I don't have any, you know, flare type equipment for infrared. I don't have church dogs. You know, we just got a flashlight in our feet. My mom, she's probably out there suffering. If she's in the woods, you know, laying there hurt. Now it's six, seven hours. I'm thinking the worst. I was praying and hoping that they would find her and, you know, we'll call the ambulance and get her some help. But that's
3: not what happened. The disappearance of Kim Flint mystifies her family, and they're devastated by the possibility that they may have lost her forever.
4: We loved her, her friends loved her. My mom was a very caring, giving person. She would help people out. She volunteered to help the elderly lady live down the road, helped her out, taking her to appointments. When I was growing up, she was very strong. We moved around a lot, so, but every time we moved, my mom seemed to f- always find friends and build rapport with anybody. And she was very involved with churches, so she would find a local church to go to. And she always big into gardening, and she had a green thumb and can bring anything back to life. She was a wonderful mom. As I got older, especially once I got in the military, I would come home and, and thank my parents for how they raised me and the sacrifices they had to endure to, to provide for me and my brother. You know, to, to have a good education in life and get a start.
3: Kim was known among her friends and family for being outgoing, gregarious, and compassionate to everyone she encountered. Her friend Barbara Russell ran a general store in Mount Enterprise, the closest town to the Flint's
2: home. She would come into the store, and we would discuss things like young living oils and refinishing products because she loved to restore old furniture. And uh, she would tell me about her kids and her grandkids and... How much she really enjoyed them. And she sometimes would come by and say, oh, I'm on my way to Louisiana. I'm going to go babysit. And she's just like in hog heaven at that point.
3: In the last few years before her disappearance, however, Kim's family began to notice some concerning changes in her personality and mental state.
4: She would always be pretty interested in where I was at, what I was doing. When I first started trucking and what I'm seeing, where I'm going, and my mom was very, she would always probe me for information, talking, talk. you know, get me to talk. I'm usually was the one more reserved. Then it we went to where I was asking her questions and she was just giving, you know, yeah, yes, no answers. I could feel something in my gut, something was wrong, but I wasn't there at the time to see it. And I can tell through our conversations that she was declining just over the phones. It hurt. I don't know if I could have did more or I don't know what else I could have done. Two years before she disappeared, she actually hurt herself. She attempted on her life. She was just kind of talking about people after her and stuff. Just like she was kind of out of her mind. When that happened, you know, state mandates that you go through behavioral health. She had to go through the East Texas Behavioral Health Clinic. Once she got her on the right medication, she kind of snapped out of it, she went from about 30% to about 110%. During that time, you know, them two years, she was up and down. Uh, she was a very spiritual person, very god fearing person. Um, and she also believed in like natural remedies and stuff. So the medication she was on, she would kind of try to get off of them and you know, we would plead for her to you know, stay on them. But I'm not there all the time. My dad, he, he was working at the time, pretty much five to five every day. It's just hard to regulate and, and help her out with that. I you know, just let her know people, you know, people care about you, love you, They don't <laughs> want to see you like this or see you uh, hurt yourself or anything. At the time of her
3: disappearance, police learned that Kim might not have been taking her medication, which could have contributed to an unstable mental state. But on the day she went missing, no one noticed anything out of the ordinary.
4: I think around 3.10... My mom calls my dad and uh, asks him to bring her a chicken finger basket that she likes to get. So he's like, "Okay, well, do you want to wait and come with me to pick up, you know, Corbett? She's like, no, I'll see him when he gets home, which was wasn't out of the norm. Now, you know, she was like that. But that's the last time my dad talked to her. You know, then he gets a call from the sheriff's office hour, like 10, 15 minutes later. Her vehicles crashed on that road. So in that hour, something happened.
0: Search crews were back and forth today looking for any clues in the disappearance of a missing East Texas woman.
5: They searched around Flint's home, nearby fields and ponds, and on county roads. With teams of dogs and ATVs, members of First Priority Search and Rescue set out to cover every inch of ground that could possibly hold a clue near the community of Laneville.
3: Police visit Kim's home to search for clues anything that could indicate why she left the house that afternoon. When they arrive, they find the door unlocked and the family dog Ziggy outside.
1: There was nothing out of place in the home. Nothing appeared to be disturbed. There was no signs of any type of struggle or anything like that in the home. She did take both sets
3: of keys to that vehicle, and her purse was left at home. Why did Kim take two sets of keys with her? Kim's friend, Barbara Russell, believes it's a clue that someone else might have been involved in Kim's disappearance. She learned that there were two Amazon packages abandoned on Kim's front porch. And because of a recent series of thefts in the neighborhood, Barbara has a theory that Kim fell victim to some opportunistic thieves.
2: When they saw those two boxes, they were going to proceed up to pick the boxes up from the porch. When they got there, Kim opened the door. She startled them. They startled her, and at that point, they forgot the boxes and then grabbed the keys and Kim. My speculation is there were two different vehicles out there, and if you're not familiar with a set of keys that goes to that vehicle, you're going to grab what's on the wall, and they grabbed both sets of those to try to figure out which one worked, and that would be the reason that they took both of them and threw them in the vehicle when they got the vehicle started.
3: Aside from the mystery of why she left the house, the stretch of highway where Kim's vehicle crashed was not an area Kim would usually travel. In fact, Kim had hardly been driving at all.
4: She would barely driven in a couple years, and why would she take off that day knowing my dad was coming home with her food that she asked for and knew that I was waiting just to come home?
3: Police interview several neighbors in the area, hoping one of them may have seen Kim as she left her house. The Flint's live
1: on a dead-end county road, and on the corner of that road, there's a gentleman that lives there. We spoke to him, he explained to us that he is disabled and that he's home all day, and that he has a recliner that faces a window that allows him to see that intersection all day long. And he told us that the only time that he left the day in question was him to go pick his son up at school He said he left the house probably right around 3, 3.05, and he said we were back home just a little before 4. Well, I know from phone records that Kim spoke to James at 3.10 p.m. that day from their landline phone at the house. So if she hung that phone up and then sometime within the next 10, 15, 20 minutes she left, the neighbor was not there to see her leave.
3: Kim's last contact with her husband was the phone call at 3.10 p.m., and the accident happened 15 miles from Kim's home. The accident report came in at 4 p.m., which means the vehicle crashed somewhere between 3.30 and 4 p.m. Once the car was towed to the sheriff's office, investigator Cavazas and his team examined the vehicle, hoping to find a clue to Kim's disappearance.
1: We looked at the vehicle, all sides of it, to see if she was possibly rammed or pushed into the bridge. There's no markings on any other part of the car except where she struck the bridge. So there's no evidence pointing in that direction. The trooper said that the driver's seat was pulled way up, which would make sense because she's five foot two. She did have glasses and those were found in the vehicle in the passenger side floorboard. From the impact, it would have thrown her forward into the side towards the passenger side so she very well could have lost her glasses at that point in time. There was a couple of other detectives that I assigned to do the processing. I know that they took what we would call just swabs of certain areas of the vehicle. And what you're looking at there is for any potential of any touch DNA or anything like that. There was no blood in the vehicle. No airbags were deployed. But we didn't find any fingerprints of any significance. We completely photographed the car, 360 photographs of it. Now, in the state of Texas, most agencies, with the exception of huge agencies, do not have a forensic crime lab. We have to use the uh, Texas Department of Public Safety's crime lab and there's criteria for DNA testing is you must have a felony offense for them to test. Do any testing. This is a missing persons case. So at this point in time and even today, we do not have a criminal offense. So I could not submit this stuff to a, uh, the DPS lab to have it tested. We still have the swabs they are in evidence here at the Sheriff's Department but they have not
3: been tested. One key piece of evidence the police recover is the black box inside the Jeep that recorded data from the car's final moments before the crash.
1: She was not wearing a seatbelt because the seatbelt sensor was not on. I know that there was no one in the passenger seat because the airbag sensor that picks up the weight of a person to activate the airbag, it was not on. I'm pretty confident that she was alone in the car. Prior to the accident, the vehicle was traveling at 83 miles an hour, traveling straight with the accelerator fully depressed. 0.06 seconds prior to the impact, there was a 45 degree turn to the right. Now, the vehicle struck the concrete guardrail at an angle. Because it wasn't a front impact, it was an angled impact, it did not set off the airbags in the vehicle. So it's kind of like if you're banking a cue ball, she hit the guardrail, but then kind of bounced off of it and then the accelerator completely comes off and then immediately is punched back down. I know that the brakes were never applied. And you can see along that concrete where the vehicle slides along that concrete until it comes off the bridge. And it goes maybe another 50, 75 yards. It's starting to go up a hill at this point. And then what I believe happened is the tire finally folded up under the car and it couldn't go any further. The data I get from the black box tells me this was an intentional act.
3: But all the hard evidence they collect doesn't get investigators any closer to finding the missing Kim Flint. So they turned to the community, making a public plea asking anyone who might have passed by the accident scene to come forward.
1: I was contacted by a gentleman that stated that uh, he had drove by there and that he had saw a white Dooley pickup. He wasn't able to give me many details about that pickup because, and like he said, quite honestly, I, I just wasn't paying that grade of attention, I saw the vehicle there that had been wrecked, I saw a white pickup there, and he said, I just drove on
3: by. To unlock the witness's vague memory, Cavazas decides to try one of the more unconventional tools in his investigative arsenal.
1: Texas Department of Public Safety, their investigation division, they have certain investigators that are trained forensic hypnotists. So I asked one of them to come down and, and I brought that gentleman in and we did a hypnosis session with him to try to get a little more detail out of him. And we were able to, through the hypnosis, determine more information about the vehicle. He then gave us a description of the truck. And he said that it was a Chevrolet due to him seeing the Chevy emblem on the tailgate. The truck is a chrome bumper, big Magnum wheels. He said he then saw something in the center of the back windshield and was able to recall it was a clover. It was around six inches in size. And he said it was white in color. Based upon that information, I had a friend that was part of the uh, Rusk 4-H Shooting Sports. Their emblems are Clover. So I ended up calling him to ask him if he recall ever giving one to, you know, someone driving a vehicle of that type, which he told me he had printed out hundreds of these stickers and that he could not recall giving one to anybody of that type of vehicle.
5: Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com, then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Neither the Clover sticker
3: nor the physical description of the truck generate any solid leads. But the man who saw the white truck reveals under hypnosis that he may have caught a glimpse of Kim herself.
1: As he was passing the truck, he stated that he saw a person near the SUV at the back driver's side as he was approaching from a ways off. He stated the person was small. He said the person squatted down like they were looking at something on the SUV. He said that he thinks it may have been a female due to the hair, said the person was wearing long pants. As he continued to approach the vehicle that the person turned away from him and then disappeared. He cannot recall where the person went. So that's the information we were able to get from him during the hypnosis session. We've never located the white truck. We've put out multiple times advertising for Someone that, you know, may recognize the description of the truck or may have been driving the truck that we simply wish to talk to them to tell us what they saw. Because they very well may have came upon the vehicle, saw it there, saw no one was around it, got out to check it, and then got back in and drove off without calling law enforcement. You know, we don't know because we've never been able to locate it.
3: The tip about the white pickup truck adds a suspicious layer to the mystery of Kim's disappearance. If someone saw Kim or inspected her crashed car, why didn't they come forward? Was it just a good Samaritan trying to help, or could they have been involved
4: in Kim's disappearance? It's just like right time, right place, where hardly nobody was at that time, and, and maybe the wrong person stopped after she crashed. Just luck of the draw, you, you get the bad person that's wanting to do ill intentions, and they find a, you know, a helpless lady out there and take advantage of her vulnerability. I don't know. I mean, say if my mom was abducted by that person or for whatever reason, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, why would you put a 57-year-old woman, what purpose, but there's sick people in this world?
1: I mean, it it could have been someone that drove up on it, saw it, got out, looked at the vehicle, didn't see anybody around it, and got back in and drove off. They couldn't have been there for long simply because, on average, there was a vehicle coming through there about every 11 seconds. If someone stopped and did something that was nefarious toward Miss Flint, surely somebody would have been driving by to see something going on. I'm not saying that's not within that realm of possibility. It's just not the most probable answer.
3: Despite the many possible theories about Kim's disappearance, the one the police and family agree is most probable involves Kim Flint having a mental health episode that caused her to leave the house and intentionally crash her car.
1: Based upon the history that the family gave me as to her mental state at the time, the fact that she had stopped taking her medications, the fact that she had become real reclusive, I think there's a possibility that Kim may have had some type of a mental break that she left the house just driving around. The information and data that I got off the black box indicates that the uh, running into that bridge in the manner that it was done was an intentional act and that there was no other person in the vehicle. Now, from that point forward, did she hit her head and was disoriented? and got out of the vehicle and wandered off into the woods. I don't know, did she get out of the vehicle? Was she trying to kill herself with a wreck and it didn't succeed? So she gets out of the vehicle and she realizes that once law enforcement and others get here, there's a possibility they may put me back into a mental institution for treatment. She may have decided I'm not gonna stick around here to find out and uh, walked off into the woods somewhere, that's a possibility.
4: I really just think that she had a mental breakdown and grabbed the keys and took off for whatever reason. People in that state of mind, you don't know what they're gonna do. But let's say after the crash, my mom walked down to the river, which would have been about 150 yards and looked at it and jumped in where she knew it wasn't that deep. I guess if you' out your mind, you would do it, but if you're somewhat of a stable mind, you know that would be a probably painful death. It, it, it's not like a flowing river. It's a, it's a stagnant type, barely slowly moving river. It's not like something that I would think if you want to kill yourself, you're not going to go jump in that river.:
3: Others who knew Kim, such as Barbara Russell, remain unconvinced that suicide is a viable theory.
2: I honestly don't believe that she would have committed suicide. For one thing, she had everything right there at the house to do it. She didn't have to leave to go somewhere. Where was she going to do a suicide? I mean, if she were going to run off the bridge, she would have ran off at the beginning of the bridge and going into the river. She would not have waited till the end and then jerked into the bridge rail. I think that she loved too much to take her own life. I could be wrong, but that is the feeling that I got from her.
3: Regardless of what motivated Kim to leave her house and head to the Angelina River Bridge, the bigger mystery is where did she go after the crash?
1: During the course of the investigation, there's been four searches. One was the night of the uh, accident, which was conducted by our patrol staff. The second search was that next morning that uh, I orchestrated and put together. On October the 4th of 2018, we went ahead and got another search together. At this time, because we've had a period of time that's gone by and she's not been located, my concerns are, did she pass away in the woods somewhere and, and we need to find her remains? I contacted five separate teams of trained cadaver dogs to come out and assist us. None
4: of them hit on anything or found anything. I've submitted DNA to NamUs, and uh, no Jane Doe's have popped up anywhere. So she could still be alive. I just, missing person, you just don't know. You know, it's hard to grieve, and I don't know if she's dead or alive. Now we're here today, over two years, and I still have no trace of my mom.
3: Kim's family must face the grim possibility that if she did die after wandering through the woods in the middle of a rainstorm, her remains may never be found.
1: One of my concerns is is if she got down in there that evening and she walked quite a ways south into those woods, which is the way the Angelina River runs, and then we had this uh, rain come in and really flooded out that bottom. She could have very well been isolated, trapped by the waters to where she couldn't find a way out. If she ended up in the river itself and or something of that effect occurred, it could have washed her down that river, who knows how far. Down there by that river, you're gonna have alligators. And what an alligator would do, if they attack you in water, they're gonna drag you under and drown you. And then what they'll do is they'll find somewhere underwater to stash your body because they want you to decompose a bit before they try to eat you. So they will stuff you up under some debris or some type of a structure to keep you from floating up, but you will be there for when they get ready for their meal. Also, if you're not familiar with East Texas, we have a very large feral hog population. They run in packs and a feral hog will eat anything. They will eat human remains and there will not be much left if they in fact come across uh, human remains, for somebody just to disappear like that—I mean, I mean—I know it happens, and it happens thousands of times across the United States a year. But it's just baffling that you know, in the day and age we're in, and the technology we have, that somebody can just utterly disappear. I take all my cases seriously. That's why I've been doing this for thirty years. She's a mom. She's a wife, she's, she's got kids, she's got grandkids and they need to know what happened to their loved one. And I take that seriously and we're gonna have to catch a break where somebody saw something or a hunter's out one year deer hunting and he runs across some type of remains and they call it into us or we get a tip of some type that leads us in a direction that allows us to come to a resolution in this case.
2: I kept thinking every day they're going to come back and they're going to find her and they're going to find her okay. And it was just went day after day and you keep thinking, well, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And tomorrow never came. And that family is devastated because that important person is missing in their life. And she was always loved family. So it's heartbreaking to know that someone like that has just disappeared and nobody has the nerve to come in and say oh by the way she's here or she's there this happened to her even if they don't say who did whatever where is Kim Flint that's the main thing that I've been thinking from day one is where is Kim Flint what happened
4: The other day I was walking in the house, I was like, man, I wish I could just walk open this door and my mom would be sitting in that chair and I will be like, what the heck, where have you been, you know? And she'd be like, let me tell you a story, you know, just something adventurous. Cause she's a, you know, she was a adventurous lady before all this happened. I just want closure to know if she's alive, if she's passed and, and what happened, you know? Not only for me, but for my dad, for my brother, for her grandbabies, for her friends, you know, they all want to know what happened. And if there's justice to be had because there was a criminal intent, then hopefully that can be pursued if the—you know—if we can. But we don't know. If you
3: have any information about Kim Flint's disappearance, please call the Rusk County Sheriff's Office at 903 657 3581 or submit a tip to unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries.
0: The last time anyone saw my daddy was on Sunday morning. Nobody saw him again until they saw his body on Monday morning. They never reported all of Sunday that he was missing to anyone. He could tell me they were thankful he had just disappeared or that they were a part of helping him disappear.
3: Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmure and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lenick, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimson, and Paul Yates. The story producer for this episode was Ann Toller, and it was edited by Ryan Dan. From Cadence 13... Editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to Episode 26 of Unsolved Mysteries. Update On January twentieth, 2022, members of the Rusk County Sheriff's Office, along with Texas Rangers and a forensic anthropologist, responded to a remote wooded area located near Ritchie Lane in the city of Recklaw. Human remains had been found in a dense area of brush, approximately one mile from Kim Flint's original car crash site. DNA testing confirmed that the remains were those of Kim Flint. There were no signs of foul play, and it's assumed that Kim wandered away from the scene of the accident and died in that location. In a statement to the media, James Flint, Kim's son said, I'm relieved that we found her so we can put her to rest and let everybody who cared about and loved my mom have a chance to have closure.